0: Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business
1: taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes.
0: Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge.
1: Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor. This is Marcelino Dodge. Certainly appreciate you joining us here on show number 37. We appreciate our worldwide audience as well throughout the U.S., China, and India, and other far reaches of the earth. We're available on various uh, uh, areas where you can go and pull up podcasts, including uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. So you can find us just about everywhere, the Tax Answers Advisor. Now, we got a lot of subjects we cover on this show, taxes and related to business, related individuals. We're going to look more today at a little more of a software and questions you could be looking at and asking, actually, your uh, tax professional. And these are vital in these days of identity theft and hackers. So, if anything comes up, you want to talk to us, you can always uh, email at success at com. Then, of course, you can give me a call anytime at 844-394-4287 to get any tax help or have a free mutual exploration session. Today, we're going to discuss about small businesses, avoid becoming a victim of social engineering. And to do so, I got a nice, a great uh, technology expert with me today, one who I personally work with in protecting my own business. I'm just excited to have Alvion Legall with me, who's for 20 years, he specialized in providing technology and consulting guidance to accountants and CPAs so that we can become compliant because data compliance is just so important today. And they're so many challenges, and no matter what size of practice, if you're just doing a individual person helping you, you need to make sure they're data compliant. And so he works with ABL computers. They do data and network compliance for accountants and CPAs, and you need to actually put enrolled agents on that too, And <laughs> 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 you'll notice there too. And they're always people-centered. I'll tell you, they're great people to work with. They've, he's, Al's always been great with me, answers questions. So they do people-centered services, with computer-centered results. And certainly since I've had them working on my computers for almost a year now, I've seen tremendous results. And I, just, I feel much more secure than trying to handle this kind of data security on my own, as well as some other hardware upgrades I've, I've done as well that they've helped me with. So it's just, it's just wonderful. I want to uh, welcome you all to the program today. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you,
0: Marcelino. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure working with you also and I am always here to help.
1: Yes, that's and that's what I really love about people I invite on this show. They're always such great people, and they're great to work with, which is what we need in this world. We need great people to work with, and when we have great people to work with, I want to let people know there's great people out there to work with that will take care of you now. Uh, Al, we had a discussion beforehand uh, before we went on live here and onto the recording about just how important it is that businesses and tax professionals in particular, because we are a target. I mean, it's it's come across our education. Uh, the IRS provides these warnings that tax professionals are a target, in which it's so important to think about. If you're uh, an individual looking to have someone prepare your taxes, it's it's certainly very appropriate to ask them, "What kind of measures are you taking to protect my data? Is my data safe?" Because Unfortunately, and you mentioned this before, you got some tax professionals who maybe do only 100 clients or whatever, but feel like I don't have security. But yet, this leads us to our first question here about in our discussion is, are only certain companies or certain size tax repairs vulnerable to these kind of attacks?
0: <laughs> uh, actually, no, no, they not certain type of companies are uh, susceptible to this. We're all susceptible, but it's a matter of… who is going to be be easier to break into. So a smaller company, which we call low-hanging fruits, uh, like Mm -hmm. I love fruits, I love mangoes. And if I go (laughs) to a mango tree, I'm not going to climb the mango tree to get the mango all the way at the top, but I will get the one that's right there at ground level and so forth. So smaller companies, the hackers know that these smaller companies don't have the budget to provide the necessary layers of security. And, and um, they already know that some of these companies, they do have the data that they are looking for. But yet, still, if they are to get into them, they know that chances are they may not report it to the FBI. They may just ignore it and just they'll go, and they're quicker to pay the ransom, actually. So these are some of the things that, hey, it's always open to any, any company, any size.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's something that uh, that I really appreciate you reminding me about. When I first for, first spoke to you last year um, at the TaxCon for uh, the National Association of Tax Professionals, I mean, it's we've had these seminars. I mean, I did a, a education seminar last year on cybersecurity and some different uh, areas and important things has changes I needed to make to continue to adjust. But yet, it seems that some tax professionals, I even know some in where I am that. It just doesn't seem serious to them because, well, we're in a small area. We're in our little corner of the world. Nobody's come bother us here. But yet, how many of us have our computers connected to the Internet? Probably all of us because we have to e-file returns. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, we have uh, – I really like your low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, I'm not much of a mango person. I'm more of like a plum or a peach person. But, yeah, that – that low-hanging one, as long as it looks good, hey, let's go for it. Although that one at the top may be a little riper or maybe a little tastier, but I'm going to go for the one down here because it's the easier one to get to. And certainly that's where uh, small companies like myself, a company that only does a few hundred tax returns, our uh, data is out there hanging. I mean, because many companies uh, leave their systems on all the time, yes, 24 hours a day, and thus it's out there, I mean, cause I, I'm not exactly sure how that, how the hackers go about doing their thing. And I don't really want to know that's why you need to, that's why you know, I don't need to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do know that if my IP address and all that's floating around out there connected to that net, I mean, anybody can can creep in if you don't have those uh, locked doors in there or those those firewalls in there to keep them out. And so, and any more, do you find that, uh, that multi-level is, is more important than just, oh, I got this one thing going here, but that's all I need there is.
0: <laughs> well, yes. When you take a multi-layer approach to cybersecurity or to security, I always like to use the analogy of like your, let's say you have an apartment building, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, your home. Now, we all have keys to a front door. So if, I, if someone is to come into a break into a house, now they have to get access to each bedroom. So if we lock each room now, and now the person now has to break into every door to get into that room. So that's more of like a multi-layer approach. So if I'm to apply that to a network, we start with the firewall that's coming in from your ISP connect, we connect to that device, we put security, necessary security on that device. The bedrooms are your computers. Each computer or each device that's connected to that network must be protected. So even though something may happen in one room, they you know, if they come through a window, they're mm-hmm. only locked into that room there. It's just like with um, when certain place you do fire drills, they say close the door close the door, close the door. Mm-hmm. There's a reason. It helps contain the fire. So that's the all multi-layer approach to security. And some people just, some people just believe, hey, I have a firewall. I am protected. Well, yes, you are, but once you come in, they have access to everything inside. Mm-hmm. So.
1: So, um, take, so if I'm understanding, I like your little approach there with the house and closing the door. So again, uh, you can have the firewall at the system but yet if they break basically if i'm making sure this right based on your illustration is that you have if someone does like break into a system and you have like four or five computers on that system they may break into one but if the security set up they won't get access to the others
0: that is correct that is correct
1: because they have a different i don't know, because essentially the coding or whatever is different so that they can so that yeah. we can get through that. The code while we used to get to this one worked, but that's not necessarily gonna to work to get to the other ones in the system.
0: Exactly, but it also works in the reverse. So it's working in conjunction with everything, like for example, your firewall and your computer. So one of your computer breaks out with a virus, your firewall re- realizes that, and then it tells all the other computers on your network Do not accept any calls or any requests from that computer. I am going to isolate that Mm -hmm. computer. In other words, cut it off from the entire network because that computer is infected. So that's where the multi-layer approach takes place. If the front door is broken down, Mm -hmm. all of the computers, your bedrooms know, hey, let's close the doors. Let's shut down everything because we are compromised. So Mm -hmm. that's that's the approach that we take.
1: Okay, and that's and that sounds very good. At least, uh, especially when you're dealing with uh, tax offices who have that have more than one computer, usually hooked to the internet and networked and everything, so that uh, if one is breached, at least the others should be safe there. And that's 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 very very important. I appreciate that nice point. Now, we also have some, uh, and I actually have to say I was thinking like this for a while. I will admit that till my eyes were opened on it, is that we see many small tax professionals, or even people who I call the, or in the IRS calls them the ghost preparers, who will go out there and use people's information, saying, No, oh, I can do your tax return, but yet they'll say, oh, well, I got the antivirus, I got the anti-malware software, all that's gonna keep me safe or protect your information. But once again, <laughs> is this gonna necessarily be true? What do you, what do you find? Uh,
0: actually, no, that is not true because most antivirus Solution out there today are signature base, and what I mean by that, just as how everyone has a social security number, every application has a digital signature. Mm. What we're finding today is that a lot of the viruses and malware that are out there, the signature name, the signature name changes. So what antivirus companies do? So let's say, for example, a virus comes out the, the signature is. ABC, all right? So what they will do within their program is program it to say, hey, if you see a computer uh, program with the signature ABC, let's block it because it's a known virus. But the hackers now will take the same virus and change the name, change the signature <laughs> on it. So now it's BCD, all right? Now the malware programs or the antivirus will cannot detect it because it's a new program now. So what the approach we take, what we recommend is that you do get a more advanced EDR, which stands for Endpoint Detection and Response Application. So what that means, what it does, it looks at the behavior of files of certain programs. Certain programs shouldn't do certain things. I'll give you an example. As CPAs, you all get a lot of Word documents, images, and PDF files from clients with information and so forth. Now, you receive that information, a Word document, you double-click on it, it opens up Word, and there you have it, the client's information. In the background of that Word document, what hackers are doing, they put in macros, and those are small codes, Mm -hmm. that will go out on the internet and download a file. Now we all know a Word document should not go out to the internet and download any files. So what your EDR solution will say, hey, you open up Word, but it's going out on the internet. I need to block that because that should not happen. So okay. that's what that's why your basic malware or basic um, antivirus solution may not work for you.
1: Okay, that's that's uh, that's excellent to know because I've. Uh, Some of the seminars I've done where experts are ones who have a lot of more tax experience than I do have talked about such items about about what can happen if you click on attachments or especially attachments from unknown. Because one of the issues that you mentioned there is, and I get these from time to time. uh, I'll get these. Well, uh, I'd like you to do my taxes. Here's my documents. And I'm like, okay, well, A, I don't know you, B. Uh, I don't click on these links because I don't know you. And thus, because of that, uh, I'll respond to the person saying, okay, this is how we do business. If you want me to do your taxes, this is the steps you need to take. And guess what? I never hear from those people again. They want to use some SharePoint link or something like that. I'm like, no, new people, this is how you have to do it. And thus, I feel because of what I've learned from you and from others, it's been vitally important and it's helped me to keep myself protected for avoiding such unknown links, because that's and then, of course, training my employees as well to say, this is our policy. You do not do this. And so far, we've had good success with that. So we're going to keep trying to do that as well. Now, um, one of the areas I, that we... You, I you just mean, want to
0: interject. I just want to bring out something here, which is very, very important for, um, for you that you have, Um, you have a policy, you have policy and procedures internally that you, the way how you do business. And a lot of small businesses don't have these things in place. Mm -hmm. And that's a way to operate. That's the best way to operate. It Mm -hmm. may seem a little bit tedious, but it's important that you make sure that all of your employees know this is Mm -hmm. the way we operate and we don't deviate from that. Because yeah. deviating from that procedure can lead to a mm-hmm. um, virus a virus or anything like that. Yeah. For example, um, companies that do transactions like they would uh, financial transactions like bank transfers and so forth when you get these requests, you always you either one don't give the entire account number they must call for the last four numbers or something like that mm-hmm. or. If they once they put in a transfer, all transfers or requests for transfers must be verbally verified by the company. So in other words, if you're updating your payment information, you will call the company and verify Mm -hmm. all of that information. So these are some good policies to have Mm -hmm. in place. And it is important that we all have these policies internally.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's good though, because one thing I think all tax professionals should do, and even and clients coming in <clears throat> should ask the question is, have you had some type of, or have you done some recent uh, office or practice management education on managing your office? And i tell you, that's where I've gotten a lot of the things that I've done. That's how I've developed some of these policies because some of these classes actually provide you with the essential policy. All you got to do is go in and tweak it and maybe get it reviewed by your attorney to and stuff. Just, and then- then just implement it. And it's really easy to do. So that's something I would encourage people to to do as well. Saying, "Hey, what do you have these policies in place? What are you doing?" And frankly, I don't. I wouldn't care. If a person asked me, to look at it. Okay, here here's my policy. I mean, that's my practice. If a person wants to look at it, be it an employee or just a client, I'll say, "Okay, here's a printed copy here. Look, this this is what our policy is." Because yes. for client data protection is just my thing, and that's that's why I. That's why I stress to people, this is what we do. This is why we do it. And and most of the time, at least the people I want to do business with respond very positively and are very appreciative of that. Now, in the email, you touched on that a little bit with the emails. Now, I'm clicking on that link and so on just just to help the listeners really know here. Does that apply only if you're using like a desktop version of some type of uh, email program or if you're using the online version of it? Is there any difference between those?
0: Um, no, there are no difference within it. But um, if you're using the with with most, if you're using a desktop version of, let's say, for example, Outlook, some EDR or antivirus program do integrate with it and perform email scanning or file scanning along with it. If you're using a web version, it doesn't necessarily have that included. However, If you're a CPA, you're on the enterprise level or on the server that's receiving your emails must have that, and you should have that in terms of for compliance purposes. So all of these emails, spam filters, and all that must be applied to these emails. However, as we know, not everything is perfect, but once you have with your policies in place, you know you're still having another layer of security there.
1: Now, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier there, and uh, but because you talked about clients sending documents via email, uh, what is your suggestion if when it comes to the safest way if they want to send them electronically, what's the best way for clients to send documents to tax offices and even for tax offices to receive them? I know what I do I want to know to see see what your thoughts are on that.
0: Well, what I've discovered is that a lot of the a lot of the CPA accountants out there, they have the they have tools to allow clients to send files to them, encrypted files to them easily. But on the end user side of it, it's a little bit difficult for the end user. The person may not be computer savvy or anything like that. So what I have what i have found that has worked is there are solutions out there that gives each employee offers CPA a link in their signature. That way they could just easily click on it. It opens up a window. They upload their files and the files are sent to them securely. That seems to be a lot uh, easier solution out there. It's by another company. I'm not going to say the company's name, mm-hmm. but the solution is out there. However, There are certain things as a tax professional you cannot control. Okay. Mm -hmm. for example, you want to do business with me. I want to send you my files and I just send it to you via email just like that. The most important thing is that you have a portal for me to Mm -hmm. send files securely. It is in my right if I decide to use that portal or not. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have that and I choose not to use, I am assuming the risk and that's from an insurance purposes. All right. Mm-hmm. So what I always try to tell clients is try to direct your clients to always using the portals. There are mm-hmm. the one or twos who are going to violate mm-hmm. all rules and regulations. I want to send it, but know that they are assuming the risk when they do it, mm-hmm. when they do it that way. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and that's what I've been stressing to, and really working with clients, helping them to which is why I kind of recently changed what I'm doing to try to make the portal a little easier. But yeah, that's what I personally do is I try to have them say, hey, no, we, we do not accept documents via email, and this is why. And I talk about security. I talk about all the openness. I talk about the unsecured un- <laughs> email, your information being floating around out there. Uh, trying to encourage them to use the portal and not quite 100%, but it, it's, it's it's taking time, but it's getting there. But yet, that's that's vitally important, and so that's why I do it because I see the importance of it, and I'm trying to stress it to my clients. And I know sometimes I lose clients over it because they want to send it via email, and I'm like, well, it, it's still best like this. So I say, okay, these are your choices. Sometimes I'll send them in regular mail, which is which is fine too. Yeah. So, so whatever way you want to send it, just don't send it to me via email, because it's because as we talked about earlier, one of the things that disturbs me, and I and I still can't believe tax professionals say this is. They'll say things like, send me your documents via email. I mean, I can't believe a tax professional still does that in these days. And this touches on a little bit what we talked about a little bit earlier, going back into the free email addresses that some tax professionals still use there. Now, with a tax professional using such an email, and I once again, I know some in my area that do that, and I'm still like, what are you doing? Uh What's the client risk to that, to the end taxpayer on that? Well, the client risk
0: is very, very huge because um, I could create an email. Uh, let's say my email address is alvion at ablcomputers.com. But let's say if my email address was alvion at gmail.com, okay? I, someone could actually create another Gmail account, let's say, call it. Um, Pretendalvion at gmail.com. However, still attach my name, my first name and last name to that email. So once you receive that email in your inbox, what you will see is my first name and last name. You don't see my email. Mm -hmm. So what people will do now is just hit reply because most times when we reply to an email, we don't actually look at the address. And how we read, we read, We we are taught to read not by letters, but by words. So one letter could be off in the email Mm -hmm. and our brain will think that it's ABL computers. It could be ABI computers. And no offense to the ABI computers that's out there, but once again, that's what happens. And it is a risk because with social engineering, what they do, they look at you, they look at your clients, and if they have access to your data, they will know who your clients are. They will try to find the wealthy ones, the ones that are the low-hanging fruit ones, and mm-hmm. pretend to be you and say, hey, John, I did not get your um, W-2. Can you just send it to me? Or as you say, just email it to me. Mm-hmm. And if John was really being proactive, and let's say he missed the, 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 the email, the, the incorrect spelling of the email. Mm -hmm. John will then say, I have done work with Mussolino in the past, and he never says, send it via email. So this is where you see the policies are coming back into play. So -hmm. they will know that he doesn't do that. He would not ask me like that. But others will just send it off and so forth. So this is why it's very risky when you use uh, just a regular Gmail or free or Hotmail account. Mm -hmm for your business. Mm
1: -hmm. And so the NDU's taxpayer, as we're talking about protecting here, if your tax professional is using a free email account as their business email, you can inquire and say, did you realize the risk of this? Because, and you're asking me to email my documents to this Gmail account that, am I sure it's your account? It may have your business name there but as you mentioned it could be an i instead of an l in there or what it, one of those changes just very subtle differences and then you could actually be sending their information their information who knows where which is why once again and i appreciate you mentioning that but yeah i don't ask for stuff through email <laughs> because it's because of the risk because of the it's so many years ago just in practice management classes and security classes i've gone through Says. says The unsecurity of regular email and and i'm thinking at least the way that i view it and i'm thinking i'm right right along going along with irs guidelines is that it's it's even a violation of irs guidelines i believe to to take stuff through unsecure email yes
0: yes there is with with the free email accounts from these companies there there is no there are no security or compliance in place it's There is no way these companies can offer you that type, that level of security for free because Mm -hmm. it costs them. It's just like we're walking through a parking lot and we see someone selling a Samsung or giving away a Samsung 55 inch screen TV for free. You know, you're going to be, what do I have to do to get Mm -hmm. this TV for free? But no, it's free. Just take it and put it in your car and drive off. So the (laughs) media will think that it's stolen. All right. so it's the same way with the free email services so there are no compliance level there you are violating everything on IRS compliance when you have the free email Mm
1: -hmm. account so yeah so that's 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 a warning if you're a taxpayer and your tax professional is using some type of free email maybe you need to find a different tax preparer that's that takes security compliance a lot more seriously and with that Leads us into about mobile device security. We've been focusing on like laptops and desktops, but was it so many people are now using their some type of mobile device or using their telephone, they're using their tablet. And that's how they're accessing even because like the portal that I use, it has an app that you can download and use. So, uh, And even like someone myself, I need the, my device because it has client information on it. Uh, what do we need to keep in mind when it comes to our mobile device security? Because it seemed like at one time, eh, no big deal. But once again, what, what do we see is developing mobile security?
0: Well, um, just to backtrack a little bit on when it, the, the hackers, if we remember mm-hmm. the trend, I'm just going to I'll quickly outline the trend of hackers. When emails first came out, we used to get a whole bunch of junk email and so forth and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Hackers were trying to hack us on computers. Nowadays, more and more people are doing businesses on mobile devices. So now with, this, with that in place, we have to still implement all of these security procedures on these mobile devices. We need to have a, a EDR programmer, endpoint detection and response solution on our devices so that it doesn't, if something is downloaded and installed on the device unbeknownst to us, where it's able to be detected. Um, We need to also make certain, most importantly, most websites today are offering you multi-factor authentication, Mm -hmm. which means that when you log in, it sends you a text message or something of the sort. That's just another layer of security you could put in place when you use, especially when you're using a mobile device. So most times when you log into mobile devices to these secure sites, it will require you to send a uh, um, a second form of identification, which is like a text message or enter a six-digit code. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm glad you mentioned that about the two-factor two authentication because that's been, uh, I think you. I've talked to you, I had some conversations with you about the importance of that. And it's come across, once again, another deal coming across, the IRS is encouraging their, their professionals to use two-factor authentication. Other continuing education classes I do have discussed it as well, uh, and there's options on that to do that. And like, for example, the the client portal system that I'm using that actually has a two factor authentication system in it, using one of those uh, authentication apps that you get your phone, you scan the little QR code on the screen, and then uh, and then each time you log in, you got to enter that code that comes up comes up on your phone, which is right. which I. Which i which basically it's 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 a reality of life. It's what we got to yes. do. Yes. 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 And so I, I, every time I think about it, wow. That I, I'll admit I've gotten past this as a hassle thing, but to think and to change my thinking to say this is protecting the client data, because no matter whether it's me or or my assistant logging in, you got it. Got to get that code off the watch, and I, I. I really like. it came across. Uh, I came across information a while back where it said that they may be able to hack your your uh, your password. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yet password. the second part that goes to your phone. That's. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say perfectly unlikely, but it's less likely that they'll be able to get both of them to get into that. But I'm sure it can happen. I just. But it's less likely you've guessed that added that additional layer because as as we've discussed, nothing's going to cover you 100 percent.
0: Right. That is correct. I will just wanted to touch something on the password. Um, I'm sure you have all seen that when you put in a password, they ask you for, when you're creating a password, sorry, it has to be how many letters, uppercase, mm-hmm. special characters, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And what we find is that people are using the same password on multiple mm-hmm. sites, the same password. That is a definite no-no. And and here's the reason why. So let's say if I decide to go buy some flowers for my wife and I decide to go to this local store to buy the flowers and have it shipped to her and so forth. And I use a password that I've used before. Now, coming back to the low-hanging fruit, this is a small local flower shop. I order it online. Mm-hmm. They got hacked. Okay. They, the hackers got my email address and my password. What the hack now, this company is not going to report it. What the hackers will do now is go to all these different websites, Facebook, all of these places, and try my email address and the same password. And chances Mm -hmm. are, if it's the same one I use all the time, it's going to get through. So now you may say now, okay, Al, that's a lot of passwords for me to remember. Mm -hmm. This is where I recommend, and I strongly recommend getting a password management solution okay mm-hmm. this what a password management solution is it's something that where it generates passwords for you it stores all of your passwords and it also verify websites URL. So in other words if you go to I know there' are some some years years ago there was a breach with uh, with um, Bank of America where the hackers create a website just looks exactly like Bank of America. It's oh, called Vision. Wow. And people go there, put their username and their password, and it will just reload to a lock to the true Bank of America login page. But they have already gotten their information. So what these password management solution will do is verify that the mm-hmm. URL matches what the organization's URL. So if it's Bank of America, this is Bank of America's URL. And if there's any difference, it will not work. So with a password management, you only have to remember one secure password that you don't use anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And when you go to the local flower store or the local supermarket or anywhere to purchase something online or your portals, it uses that password, whatever password you store in it. Most of these programs don't allow you to use the same password multiple times because it generates a new one for you. You could set passwords to 19, 25 characters long if the Mm -hmm. website allows it. Now, we as humans may not be able to remember all of these, but this application Mm -hmm. will help you manage all of these passwords. And that is something that I strongly recommend.
1: Yes, and that's something that uh, that we use here is, is a password manager because yeah I I just looked at my password manager. There's like 300 passwords in that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like going, and that's another deal. It's like uh, end user tax tax uh, taxpayer, your tax professional. I mean, are they using solutions like that? Are you are they using things like two factor authentication, and so on? Are they are their drives on their computers? Are they using at at least bit wait, just Bit anyway, BitLocker, locker. Yeah. Within windows 10, at least using that yeah. and, and having all the at least, at least doing these solutions, because once again, it comes down to, and as I've learned, if, if your tax professional isn't doing these things, at least are they making things secure because they're not, and they're basically violating IRS regulations. If you don't do these things, because it's, it's it, they have the IRS has that whole document on data security. <laughs> yes. And it's a, uh, and we need to be willing as tax professionals to, to spend that little bit of extra money to make sure because it's not one of those risk reward kind of things. And for me, it's just like, as, as I keep building on, it, I'm not perfectly where I want to be yet, but yet I'm working toward that, taking those steps. At least as you make move forward, you get some progress, which which is what we all want to do. We just want to be back backwards. But now let's uh, think about this thing here a little bit now about breaching because That's a reality. We all may have to deal with that at some point. I know I had a scare a while while back that I thought I may have had a breach, but it turned out we didn't, thank goodness. But yet, do we necessarily know when a breach has occurred there? What, What happens there?
0: Well, the most important thing when it comes to a breach is to make certain that you have someone that is responsible to deal with it. And what I mean by that Whenever something happens on a network in your office, everyone in your office knows this is who I reported to. I see this suspicious mm-hmm. thing. I think it's a breach. This is what I, this is who I'm supposed to report it to. Now this person is, knows exactly the necessary steps. So once again, we go back to policies and procedures internally. I would always use the analogy of fire of um, buildings, large buildings, Mm -hmm. most buildings, they do fire drills and there is a fire marshal, which is typically an employee that Mm -hmm. knows when there's a fire, these are the things, these are the steps you need to take. The same thing we need to do with our companies. So it may not be, you may not have 10 or 15 employees. You may be two, but your employees know whenever a breach happens, this is what you need to do. But now, in the sense of detecting whether there was a breach or not, that's where an expert will need to come in and look at what, what, what are the events that took place and so forth. When you have a good um, solution, cybersecurity solution in place, it shows you everything. Now, a breach may not happen today for today. Most hackers gain access to your network. And then they look around to see because now the next step is to how to get, export the data from your network. So, they're looking and see. So, now this might be something that someone clicked on a month ago. Mm-hmm. So, they have had access to your network for an entire month. So, all of these things, this is where login and ev- event login and management comes in. So, we're able to go back and look into at the historical data of it and know that, well, yes, you did have a breach. This is where it started and so forth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then once you go in and look at it, yes, we had a breach, of course, then you're able to, okay, we identified it. Now we can address it. Yeah. So We're able to remediate
0: remediate on that, notify the necessary authorities that needs to be notified. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's, once again, comes in why you have cyber breach insurance. Yes. Because there's other, because as a tax professional, there's certain obligations I have. If I do have a breach that uh, I need to notify people, I need to, there's mailings and uh, it's it's a large, it's a, it's a long lengthy process, but, yes. but it's not, but it's still difficult, but yet it's there. That's why you have these things in place to be able to address this, because I'm of the feeling, and I think you probably feel this way too, is the fact that you gotta be honest and upfront with people and say, this happened and this is what you this is what you need to do to protect yourself and this is how we're gonna help you because it happened in our office. So, And that's something that takes a little bit of eating your pride on because you you don't like having to admit, oh, well, I had this happen. But if your tax professional, if it does happen, your tax professional admits it and says, hey, this is the, let's remediate this, let's work on this. This is the steps that I had in place and it still happened because at least if you had the steps in place and it still happened, that shows that you were trying Yes, and that you made the efforts. But as we talked about, it's not a hundred percent, but you had the, the stuff in place. But in the meantime, this is what happened. And then this is what I have done. This is what my security professionals have done to fix this. So now you're secure now, but let, this is, this is what you need to be aware of this. You need to go and do whatever the proper things you need to do and, Suggestion stuff. And I think some of the cybersecurity insurance helps you with some of that as well to be able to identify those things.
0: Yes. And I'll like to add to that what they what the insurance policy also do for you, the cybersecurity insurance policy, they also offer credit monitoring and identity theft monitors to everyone, all of your clients. So mm-hmm. even though you will come to me and say, Oh, we had a breach and this is the data that we have that we believe that hackers had access to, it is comforting. To know that you your follow-up is going to say, well, we have implemented um, credit monitoring and identity theft in place for you for the next year or mm-hmm. so forth. So we are remediating on that. And that mm-hmm. is something that most insurance, cybersecurity insurance company will cover for you in mm-hmm. the event of a data breach.
1: And so that's… Uh- That's another question. The end taxpayers, encouraging taxpayers, that's something you can ask your tax professional. Do you have cybersecurity insurance? I mean, I think it's a valid question. I really do because uh, is your tax professional looking out for you, which is what my goal is and which is what I want everybody that listens to this program to realize that it's not just having the tax professional do your taxes anymore. It's is your tax professional Protecting your data. What steps are they taken? If something does happen, do they have this type of insurance? It's really that that simple, which is why I think it's so important not just for us as a tax professional to think about this, but have a tax individual, a taxpayer, ask these questions. Because you're when you're giving someone like me basically your life story, you gotta be have some comfort that. It's protected. It's not just going to end up out there floating around on the dark web or anything, but it's going to be protected. And so that's that's why I really appreciate having this discussion today because it is so important. Now, how about uh, how about a backup in regards to ransomware? Because we've just heard some big companies and things with with ransomware being struck and everything. So, how does how does a backup work with that? Is that going to be enough? Well, um. A backup is
0: another layer of um, security and protection because what we teach is or what we preach on: you don't pay the ransom, you never pay the ransom because when you pay the ransom, there is extortion. There is a possibility of extortion. They could come back to you. They could give you the decryption code. It doesn't work. They say, "Hey, give us more money," and so forth. So we we don't. And also, last but not least, it gives them more money (laughs) to go buy more stuff to hack. You are again later down the road or whatever. So we don't support pain. But mm-hmm. the backup, what we do with our backup, a backup solution could really protect you in the sense of a ransomware. But most backup solutions that people tend to use or implement by themselves is attached to the network. It's mm-hmm. sitting there. So once the hackers come into one computer, they also access your backup drive and they encrypt it, so you have nothing to go back to. Most, some of these backup solutions only keep data for at least 5, 10, or 15 days and so forth. Now, remember, the hacker might have had access to your network from a month ago or two mm-hmm. months ago or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So through the, through the inspection or the discovery phase, whether what happened to lead to a breach, we're knowing that oh this file was downloaded in june so we need to go to restore restore all of these files but not this file from june so a backup will a backup can also protect you in terms of a ransomware it's it's um, what we for financial finan, financial companies there is the compliance that you need to keep the data for 7 years mm-hmm. so what I recommend to some some of our clients is just keep one year local, not mm-hmm. attached to the network or anything like that. Data is always encrypted, and the next six years in the cloud. Mm-hmm. That's what I recommend, and it can it yes it can protect you from some of these right? So in the event that you get a breach.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, how does ransomware or lack like of ransomware attack if your work if you do happen to be using a lot of cloud solutions already. Mm-hmm. There, how's that? Does that? How does that affect that? If you, if because, it's obvious if it's on the system locally, but how about if you're using a lot of cloud solutions?
0: If you're using a lot of cloud, most cloud solution providers they do provide necessarily the next level of scanning of those files that goes into their data center because they they don't want. You, typically, is a shared system, so they don't want your data being encrypted, your bad files encrypting everyone else's files. So they have policies in place to add these la- different layer of security of these files. However, if you're using your own, it is your responsibility to put these solutions in place to scan these files.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're using the regular local, well, like a local electronic file cabinet, on your system there. That's what you're talking about, which which could be could be subject of a ransomware attack as well. And so that that's where you got to look at those solutions yourself and then have that backup as you're talking about that will help address those issues. And so once again, coming back to looking at what a taxpayer needs to think about, does their tax professional have such backup systems in place to protect against such items so they can access their data what kind of solutions are they using are they using local solutions or are they using cloud solutions there and and so i've actually myself i've been moving more to cloud solutions in the last few years just just for the matter of client convenience and convenience of doing business (laughs) yes yes (laughs) there so uh which helps to alleviate some of this but even if you're not necessarily storing all your data on a system i mean on your on your local system, there is how much of a concern still is is ransomware. I mean, I mean, how much should you back up, even if you're not using necessarily storing everything on your system?
0: The best way to approach it, it's mm-hmm. you have to think about it. Think about it from the perspective of downtime for your office. Mm-hmm. So even though your data is stored in the cloud, if one of your system gets ransom, chances are it's going to spread across your network. This is where we come back into the, the, the apartment building analogy or the home mm-hmm. analogy. So once one computer gets infected, ransomware tends to spread across, move laterally across your network. So if one computer gets impacted, others will get impact. Now, from a business owner perspective, you have to look at it from what does it truly cost you mm-hmm. when one of your system is down? One, your employees cannot work. So mm-hmm. you say, okay, go home. Are uh, you sending them home without pay? It's not their fault. So yeah. you have to pay them, all right? Um, how many clients returns you have to do? So this is a, it's the 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 impact is exponential. Mm-hmm. So these are things that business owners have to look at when it comes mm-hmm. to um, being ransomed. So even though all your data is in the cloud, mm-hmm. you, your system could break down, you're out of out out for a while and then you could restore it within a day but guess what the following day they ransom it again all right so these Mm -hmm. are things that we need to you need to be aware of
1: yeah okay yeah exactly because you still may have some local applications you're using that you need to use and thus the ransomware can still affect how you operate which is why it still needs to have the backup that way you can still come back up in and restore and be back up and and get and basically eliminate that stuff out right get that stuff in with a good security solution in place you're going to be able to remove those things restore get rid of that file and and then get back up up and running and so once again our our taxpayers that are that are looking for someone to do it i mean how are they going to is there a tax professional at least planning are they prepared for such items so they have these systems in place which and ta- once again talking about this i think it's so important that taxpayers these are questions not just how much are you going to charge to do my tax return <laughs> what are you doing to protect my data exactly and so that's what i'm encouraging all taxpayers to do is and why we had such a beautiful discussion today is because it is so important it is that is the the next logical question to ask, how much are you going to charge me? How long is it going to take? Oh, by the way, how are you going to protect my data?
0: Exactly. I, I would like to say this, um, you know, as a as a taxpayer myself, I when it comes to my finances, it's something personal. You cannot mm-hmm. lie to your accountant. You can lie to everybody else about how much money you're making, but your accountant <laughs> will know the truth. Yeah. And. If I am to walk up to anyone out there and say, "Hey, tell me how much money you make, I'm sure they will not they will not tell me
1: mm-hmm.
0: or give me a social security number. These are things that we need to take in place, but we trust our accountants, so we need to make mm-hmm. sure that they are protecting our data.
1: Yes, definitely there. and that's why I, as someone who handles such sensitive data, appreciate, professionals like yourself who help to protect that data and if you're if, if you're dealing with a tax professional isn't so serious in protecting your data i would say find another tax professional i don't care how much you like them how much good they've done you over the years if they're not protecting your data are they really doing you doing the best job for you that to me is an absolute necessity now not just their knowledge and professionalism whatever they do but are they protecting data so it's, it's been great. Hey, Al, uh, if anybody has any questions for you, how can they reach you, Al?
0: Um, well, the best way to reach me, it's through my website, www.ablcomputers.com. You could reach us also at 718-989-1591. And we are here. If you have any questions, give us a call. We could answer your questions. We're not trying to sell you anything, but we, most important mm-hmm. we're just trying to educate you mm-hmm. so that you can make the best decision for yourself.
1: Yeah, and I really appreciate uh, how you educated me, Al, and it's helped me to be even more uh, conscious of this as we keep developing our relationship together and as I build up my own security there. So again, this I appreciate Alvion Legal being with me today from ABL Computers. It's been a great discussion about having your tax professional making sure they are protecting your data. So keep that in mind. Any questions about anything that comes up or anything we've discussed during this program or in the past programs, of course, it's success at CashTracksfinancial.com. My phone number is 844-394-4287. Again, we appreciate everyone. We appreciate again you Al being here as we'll look forward to another fine fine program next week. This is Marcelino Dodge on the Tax Answers Advisor on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week.